Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Statistics Canada reported recently that one in five Canadians has screened positive for symptoms of depression, anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder. Visits to the emergency room at Northumberland Hills Hospital due to mental health crises have jumped 80% in the past four months. Last year, during the pandemic, more than 36,000 people received treatment in one form or another from the Community Mental Health Service. The numbers are staggering. Things are expected to get worse as people return to work and children go back to school. Jennifer Cox, who heads up the mental health services for the hospital, will describe exactly what is going on. Certainly, people are much more aware of their mental health, but it is more than that. The isolation, the pandemic fatigue, the constant change and uncertainty has played havoc on people's well-being. She will explain this and more. Here is my interview with Jennifer Cox. I'm so pleased to have with me today Jennifer Cox, the Integrated Director of Mental Health, Community Programs and Services at the Northumberland Hills Hospital. Welcome to Consider This. Thanks, Rob. There are already reports in the news media about a pandemic after the pandemic related to mental health. What is your assessment for the impact of the pandemic on people's mental health currently as it pertains to Northumberland County? So I'm glad you asked that question because I think that um, more and more awareness is being drawn towards mental health now through the pandemic. Um, And one of the things that, I mean, we're always happy and I want to say thank you for to you really for raising the awareness um, towards mental health and shining a light on it. Um, I have to say that when I first started in community mental health, I've been working in community mental health for over 20 years. I can't imagine working in any other field. I love it. Um, But 20 years ago, we were knocking on people's doors asking if we could come and talk to them about mental health. Um, But what's happening now is actually a reversal of that, right, where people are are calling us and saying, can you come and talk to us about mental health? Can you talk to our group about, um, you know, coping strategies or how to cope with anxiety or some of the pressures that they're feeling at home? And so and now people are doing all of those things virtually as well. So, you know, we're, we are a little bit more portable and we can do that, but it's been a, a reversal of, of awareness, right? So now people are more aware of it. And I think it's become more of the main point in conversation and focus, right? Around not just thinking about our overall health, but understanding mental health as an integral part of our overall health. Um, what we're seeing in the community in terms of since the pandemic started, um, it's really increased crisis presentation. So, and by that, I mean, not just people kind of experiencing crisis, but an increase in their acuity or the worsening of their symptoms. So, whereas, you know, before people might have 
when we opened the walk-in, for example, I used to say, well, you know, people will only tolerate a sore throat for so long, and then they'll really want to go get help for it. We had a longer tolerance period for mental health. We would sort of let that go a little bit longer. Um, and what we're seeing now is people, that's what is happening to some degree because of the restrictions of the pandemic. But so then their symptoms are really worsening. Uh, we're seeing a lot more anxiety and depression um, and a lot of challenges for people. We're all struggling to really differentiate what is a crisis and what isn't in this moment, right? Because we're, we're given so many em emergency oriented type messaging. And so it's hard for us to pull out what is a crisis and what isn't. Um, and I think the other thing, to be honest, I think we can all identify is we're having change fatigue is what I think it's being, what I have referred to it as, what I think other people have. People are just really become fatigued and overwhelmed by the constant shifting of, of rules, of regulations, of what's okay, what's not okay, what's safe, what's not safe. Um, what can I do now? What shouldn't I do? And so that's become, and, and also just the, the nature of the pandemic has shifted over the last 18 months. So um, I think we're, we're seeing a lot more people in that role. And then lastly, um, we're seeing a lot of people for the first time that have not come before, have not presented to us or called us or come to our, our clinics before. So we're seeing a lot of first timers come through the door. So I think that's telling as well. Now, do you have any statistics to go with that? Yeah. So I, I are we have our walk-in clinic, for example, that we do in partnership with Rebound Child and Youth Services. And that's been a really great collaborative. And when the pandemic happened, the walk-in pivoted immediately to phone to a virtual or phone or in-person um, access. So it's a hybrid model now, um, which has been great. I think it's helped to remove some barriers of people who had transportation challenges or that sort of thing. So we're offering it as a hybrid. But since April of this year, the walk-in session utilization has been 93%. So 93% of the sessions that are available through a walk-in type model are used. Um, and that's very high percentage because we're trying what really what you're doing is offering a number of sessions a day and you're basing it on when people are calling or wanting that availability. So that's a really high um, utilization. The other thing that we I looked at was from April of this year till July of the end till July, the end of July of this year, we had a 24% increase in people coming through to use the walk-in over the same time last year. So we are experiencing that that would would be more than I would say the usual year over year increase. So usually year over year, it's it's you know, we have increases to programs and, and the number of people that access them, but 24% over last year at the same time through the walk-in program. So I think that speaks to the immediacy of people needing the service, um, the readiness for them to access it and the reasoning right behind them. Um, the other thing I can highlight is for crisis when I mentioned that people are sort of experiencing more crisis. Um, our crisis services are sort of multiple pronged. So we have crisis, uh, clinicians in our emergency department at the hospital, but then we also have our MHART team, which is our mobile response team that is partnered with all the police forces in Northumberland and um, does the ride along, goes out and visits people who and tries to de-escalate the crisis, getting them connected to services. So we looked at the, the data from April until the end of July, that same time period. And for crisis in the emergency department, we've had an 80% increase of people coming to the emergency department. So very significant. So that that is a much larger increase of, of compared to a normal year over year increase. 
The other thing, uh, if we look at the MHART team, which is the community prong of crisis, that team has had a 169% increase. So yes, I would say the numbers would support a definite increase. Now I should say the the MHART increase, that differential is, is expected. So part of a mobile response team is to help go out into the community and catch people prior to them needing to go into the hospital or help divert them away so they don't have to go to hospital, that we can connect them to that network that we've got collaboratively in Northumberland and get people connected to services. So they should be perform busier and some not busier, but they should be have a higher response, right? Um, the other thing that's actually, uh, that also is contributing to that is that our, along with our, our staff, but also in collaboration with all three police forces, we were really successful in advocating um, to the Ministry of Health to more fulsomely fund MHART so that we had um, dedicated staff in all three police forces. So that having that dedicated staff now meant we could upstaff Port Hope, for example, police services. So that's, you know, when you're more present, you're going to have more, more awareness is going to increase and you're going to have more contacts with people. But I, I don't think that accounts for all 169%. I think we can safely say the pandemic is part of that increase for sure. Did I hear correctly that you were talking about emergency room visits? and mental health, and that's up almost double. You said 80. 80%. Percent. 80%, so that almost double the number, and that was from April to July, is that April correct? 1st to July 31st, that same period, yeah. 2020 compared to 2021. So bear in mind at the, from that, probably that April, May period yeah. was that initial full lockdown. And it's hard for us to remember back to that initial period. But when we did that initially people, across the province, all hospitals saw less people coming, right, for, for yes. all kinds of things, right? Sure. So so there, there should be an increase compared to last year of that time. But I think that the significant percentage of the increase, that, that's a significant percent, 80%. Um, I think we can't really say that that, you know, having that initial lockdown, we may have experienced some slightly lower volumes, but I wouldn't suggest that that lockdown was part of that just to keep it in simple terms so that listeners can understand. Sure. I mean, that is a significant, you've talked about two significant increases. And while there's lots yeah. of explanation, and I think it all makes sense, you know, when you think about it, but at the yeah. same time, I think, you know, emphasizing the fact that we're, we have a, a, a great demand for mental health services, especially, you know, people going into an emergency room, that's, yeah. that's not, you know, that's not a minor thing. People are obviously in a great deal of distress to, to have to get to that level. I think it's different compared to say going into the walk-in clinic where you know I might have been down and depressed for a while or worried about my job or experiencing anxiety I'll go to the walk-in clinic because you know my I might have a mild to medium uh, kind yeah. of crisis or whatever but to go into the emergency I mean that 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 sounds to me like it's pretty serious mm -hmm. I was also struck just since we're talking numbers and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but mm -hmm. in 20 20, 2021, total visits to community mental health were over 36,000 visits. And, and in terms of individuals served somewhere over between four and 5,000 in the last two years, each year, how, how does that reflect the state of services and the need in the community? 
Sure. I think that people are always surprised to learn that we're that we are doing that many visits or supporting that many people, that many folks across the across our community. I think the other thing is that we have experienced year over year growth um, in terms, and it, that's I think normal for all communities to experience that year over year growth. Um, one of the things that we have really worked here and then and any has been really supportive and successful at advocating for more resources getting directed to the to the community uh, program but also being supported through the hospital so when I mentioned about the increase in crisis, one of the things that has gone to support that is the hospital has added another crisis clinician to the emergency department. And so, you know, because of that support, we've been able to then there's more, you know, more, more coverage, right? So people coming maybe later in the evening or that sort of thing has been able to be supported. Um, I would also say that, you know, we've had some, some of that year over year growth is also because we've had some new additional services that have been added to the, to our portfolio that we didn't have before. Um, one of which is a Northumberland-based peer support, mental health peer support program, which has, uh, interestingly, and then a program that has launched 100% in a pandemic. So was not planned to launch in a pandemic. And when you think about peer support, really, it's all really based on connecting to each other, right? People with lived experience connecting with each other in a supportive way. And so it had to completely pivot and, and launch in a pandemic, which we did. Um, and I want, it's a big kudos to them, but they, one of the programs that Peer runs is under the umbrella of a recovery college. Recovery colleges are run across many countries in the world, across Canada, there are recovery colleges. We call our recovery college Tell Talks, which is really meant for workshops, educations, connecting sessions for people with lived experience by people with lived experience. So you could run a Tell Talk, which stands for uh, teaching and education learned through living. So people can run a tell talk on how to get the best out of my doctor's appointment, um, how to navigate shopping for one. I mean, it could be anything. But I, I should say that in this last first quarter, we had 377 people attend a program that's now pretty much all virtual. So it to me, it really spoke to the growth in the services, but also the the, the desire people have to connect with each other, right? That even when you're not feeling well, I'm not doing well, there's an innate desire to connect to another person that I know would be part of my well being, right? Could be supportive to me. And that person could be another person with lived experience. It doesn't always have to be a formalized clinic, a clinician or a prof a, someone with a professional credential. It could just be, it could be somebody with lived experience. So that program, so to go back to your question around some of that growth, yes, is from lots of work done in advocacy to add new services to the menu, right? To add new services that, to, that we know are needed um, in all communities, but for sure um, in Northumberland, for sure. Uh, we always are, you know, looking to the future. What's next? What do we want to do next? What do we want to add next? Um, what do we want to try to push ahead for? So, and you, I, you probably will probably get there, but part of the other thing that was added, which is the short stay unit, the hospital has uh, promoted the having a short stay unit, which has some capacity for people with mental health issues. And, and we can then now actually provide some short term uh, treatment support through that those resources that the hospitals made available. So, I would say the need uh, are we, uh, you know, we're nobody's ever meeting that need a hundred percent. There's always things we're going to strive because we're pretty ambitious. We want to do more all the time, but um, 
I think people are always surprised to that it were that we're doing that many visits a year or that there's that many people in the community. Um, and to go back to the first question, I think it's it hits on that mental health is sometimes an invisible issue. Right, it's an invisible issue to think there's about four or 5,000 people in our community, there's probably more that we could serve that are out there, um, but it's an invisible issue, right? It's not always obvious. And so um, I think it kind of hits that point. Statistics Canada reported in March that one in five Canadians has screened positive for symptoms of depression, anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder. What kind of cases are you seeing and is there a rise in cases related to the pandemic? In other words, are you seeing more cases of depression? Are you seeing more cases of anxiety? Things mm -hmm. that might even go as far as post-traumatic stress disorder. Sure, we see a lot of trauma actually. Um, and we generally speaking, we see a lot of trauma, but I would say, yes, we're seeing probably more depression and anxiety, definitely. Um, there was an article in the New Yorker a while ago about languishing. And I think a lot of people identified um, with what that was describing, right? So, you know, all there's a grouping of people, there are those people that, you know, sort of we kind of got by in our daily lives. We had some things built into our daily life that we could look forward to or ways that we were sort of just coping, but we were just getting by. Um, doesn't mean that we were had to be, you know, overly um, great or suit our mental health was at the top of its game, but we were just getting by in some areas, but really the pandemic removed those coping strategies from our lives, right? And so, and, and really removed some of the ability to pivot and, and implement new new strategies so yes definitely seeing more more anxiety um, there's a lot of research around anxiety being one of actually growing faster than depression at one time when I first started out depression was referred to as the common cold of mental health um, but I would say anxiety is quickly approaching or not surpassing um, depression a lot of a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety in our youth, um, seeing anxiety in younger people compared to what we would have before, and some grief. A lot of grief as well, because there's a lot of loss during this time, and we don't have the usual ways to connect to people, um, particularly in our community. Right? We have a community that has a, a larger population of of seniors or, or elderly folks, and so how would you normally cope with a loss? Is to gather connect to each other and support each other. And so we're seeing a lot of grief as well. There's even more concerns about mental health stresses as people are returning to work or integrating out of isolation as things open up. Uh, the Center for mm -hmm. Addictions and Mental Health released a report at the end of July saying a third of Canadians are reporting moderate to severe anxiety over returning to pre-pandemic routines. Can you give us some insight as to what you're seeing and, and what it's like for people in Northumberland? Sure, I think that's part of that change fatigue too, right? I think people have had so many, we've had sort of that back-to-back -back change on top of change, right? And so our normal, we all sort of deal with change or have that period of time that we incorporate the change into our life. And everybody's sort of period of time is a little bit different. Some people take a little bit longer. Some people are a little bit less, but we haven't been afforded any of it, really. It's been kind of back to back, right, where we haven't had time to incorporate the new normal when there's another new normal. So, you know, that that has been a really big stressor for people. And I think there's also youth and all age groups right now are struggling with lack of autonomy over our 
over some parts of our life, right? Lack of agency over our life or influence. And so when we're sort of, you know, now workplaces are asking us to come back to work, but we don't have necessarily the agency over, well, what happens to the other people in our house? Are our kids going back to school? And what happens if they're not? And what happens about, I normally, whereas, you know, as in my house, it would be myself or my partner that would make those decisions about, okay, where we, where do the kids go for daycare? And then how are they getting transportation home? And who's looking after this person? How am I, but now a lot of that agency is really unknown. And so that's where I think we see the escalation of anxiety and depression set in where people feel like they're, they can't make plans or make those decisions. One study released last week said 25% of Canadians are unclear about their employer's plans for returning to work. And another 12% said they don't think their employers even have a return to work plan. All this suggesting that it's adding to people's anxiety, as we've just talked about. What mm -hmm. advice might you give someone who's becoming anxious about going back to work or going back to school after being in isolation? So it's hard. It's really difficult because you're right. So what ends up happening is, and it's not necessarily the fault of employers because employers are also working in an unknown field or an unknown arena, really. So we don't always know what are the rules that are going to be handed down to us. We don't really know. So it's very hard for employers now to start pivoting and repivoting and how are they going to deliver their services or do they need their employees back? Do they not? And so what that does is kind of put the employees in this kind of state of flux all the time as well and same with the employer they're trying to struggle with the same thing so we see both sides of people coming in trying to figure out what to do better one of the things we do is you know try to work with people on what are the what are the immediate things in your life that you can actually touch on what can you immediately do right now because living in a constant state of change actually means trying to separate yourself from, from that flux as much as you possibly can and taking some agency over what you can do. And that just might be in this moment, in this day. What could I do in this day? I don't really know what's going to, normally at this time, we're thinking about September coming and the kids are going back to school and I got to get their supplies. And, it, you know, so right now I have to think about, well, in this one day, what could I do in this one day to help have some control over my life right now? And, you know, the other thing about that is um, trying not to, this is where it comes into play around what is my crisis and what isn't. If they do go back or if they don't go back, I will, knowing I'll be able to manage in some way that everyone is going to have these same challenges. And so trying to figure out what is my crisis and what isn't, because I think we're right now, we're told to worry about everything just constantly worry about everything and everything has an equal level of importance. And so I, what we're trying to do is work with people one-to-one -one or in anxiety group, group settings to try to help people manage some of that crisis prone thinking, right? That not everything has to be a crisis, even though sometimes there's a lot of messaging that everything is equally important and you should worry about everything equally. Um, we just, we have a finite amount of energy, a finite amount of resources for our mental health. And so we have some agency over what that goes to. There's considerable concern about young people, especially children. What are you finding and are you treating more children um, as a result of the pandemic? So we partner with Rebound Child and Youth Services through the walk-in to provide youth um, mental health services. And they uh, through our walk-in, we provide then same-day sessions to anybody age seven and older. And so I would say what's happening for youth is um, 
pretty interesting actually youth is an interesting time of life because it is the time when we're actually learning and gaining normally more and more kind of control over our life right we're sort of learning from other uh, our parents or other people in our life and as we get older we gain more and more control over our life but what's happening for youth now is like all of us it's actually lessening right the amount of influence and agency they have over their life is lessening um, the other thing that's happening for youth is there's the peers which are the one of the most important influences in a youth's life are reduced they're isolated from their peers and that peers and social connection is what pushes forward their social development, right? So we're really seeing uh, a lot of youth coming in with some isolation, a lot of loneliness, um, really struggling with how they bounce decisions off other, other friends, the things that they learn from other friends' experiences, they're not gaining those things. And then I would say a lot of loss. So loss of milestones or celebration of those milestones, understanding transitions in their life. So whereas, you know, I think back and you and I went to high school, we knew what that was going to look like when we graduated. We knew what was going to how that could look afterwards because we watched everybody else do it. What's happening now is youth know they're going to graduate, but they don't know what the next steps are necessarily going to look like. And so it, it's been there's a lot of anxiety, for sure, a lot of anxiety and also kids and youth now everybody is in their houses all together all the time and that has increased some stressors in households right so there's potentially financial stressors or job or employment stressors going on at home and that it's a system a family is a system and so those stressors ripple throughout that system and so I would say we're seeing a lot more of those things coming through but as, you know, through the partnership with Rebound, that's been really great to provide um, the youth and the kids and the and their um, caregivers with that kind of same day service that they might need. Are you concerned though about the potential impacts of a fourth wave and and children returning to school and and some of the anxieties that people are experiencing as we get to the end of August and into September? Um, yeah, so I would say you know we've. I don't, we paid attention and had concern all through all the waves. I mean, I don't know if we were sort of more hyper concerned about wave four. We're, we've been concerned through all of the waves for, for the population that we have. So, because the folks that we provide services to tend to be more vulnerable, they have higher um, barriers of social determinants of health. And so, what we have tried to focus on is how can we get those supports out to those people, you know, in a mobile way, in a safe way. Um, and how, so who else do we collaborate? We do pretty much everything in collaboration with other partners. And so, for example, we've done some partnerships with the health unit, with our partners over there, providing some pop-up clinics for vac access to vaccine um, and that sort of thing. So just trying to prop up um, access and reduce some of those barriers for them. We've heard a lot about pandemic fatigue, which has caused in, um, increased anxiety and depression for those people who are essential workers like doctors, nurses, grocery store workers, and others. All these people have been on the front lines ensuring that we have food and other services during the past 17 months of the pandemic. Can you help us better understand what pandemic fatigue is and what people who are listening might be able to do to help themselves if they have been facing this? So yes, we do see a lot of that. I would see we're seeing a lot of that um, in essential workers or people that are continuing to have continued to work throughout, but we're also seeing a lot in um, just in general in the community. But 
uh, I think what that goes back to that change fatigue that we were talking about at the beginning, right, where people are sort of struggling with, um, you know, adapting to the shifting sand all the time is how I would call it feeling like the ground is not really stable all the time underneath them, that there's shifting regulations, shifting, shifting safety guidelines, we have people that come in and say every time I go back for a shift it feels like there's new changes. Um, and I'm having a hard time keeping up with whatever the new changes are. Uh, we did at the very beginning uh, of the pandemic actually launch a healthcare um, support same day through the walk-in type service. And that was for a lot of the essential partners that we have in the community and for any essential workers that were out there. So, um, and you know, that was something just as a way to, we could provide that support um, to people during that time when it felt so uncertain. Um, and I would, what we're trying to encourage people to do now is one of the interesting things that's come out of this is there's more and more research now around gratitude um, and actually the impact of gratitude directly on our mental health. Uh, and that there are lots of, in lots of cases now where people are reporting things like actual deliberate practice and gratitude is giving as much benefit as some of the formalized treatment services that might be available. And it is, um, you know, it does, I think when you, when the history has shown us when we've had really difficult times, like a pandemic or world, other world events, people who focus on, there is a period of gratitude or gratefulness for the things that are in our lives, right? And kind of a reduction on some of those things that we might've focused on before. One of the, so that's one practice, an actual practice of being having gratitude. When we ha we've, have gratitude, but the other piece that we know from the research is expressing gratitude. Expressing gratitude actually is directly related to increased personal happiness. When you express gratitude to people in your life that you're thankful for, you, your actual personal happiness is increased and sustained. So that's an interest that's interesting. But the other thing we also tell people is how much of your personal, your social media, um, your access to news bites all the time, trying to reduce some of that focus so that we're not um, constantly plugged in, if you will, to uh, a lot of the news that's happening all the time, which is really almost exclusively related to the pandemic. Well, now it might be related to other things too, but it, a lot of times there's the pandemic and just kind of that messaging about what people need to be worried about all the time. So we, those two things are things that we really, two of the things of the other things that we do work with people on to try to help give them again, back to that more agency over their life. I want to go back and talk a little bit more about the level of services locally. We recently lost the Northumberland Community Counseling Center that served about a thousand clients each year. Do you think its loss will have an impact on mental health services? So we were uh, we're really pleased to be part of that RFP process that there that the ministries that funded NCCC uh, were involved in. So we were part of that uh, RFP process. There was a number of organizations that that were part of that RFP process, and so happy that we were one of the successful organizations in partnership with Cornerstone. Um, we are providing one of the one of the programs that that NCCC provided was called the PAR program, which was the Partner Assault Response Program. So we're providing that in collaboration with Cornerstone. So that service will carry on in the same capacity uh, that it had before. So we're receiving those referrals and, and those intakes and com completing those that service in the same fashion that it was before. 
but that was only one aspect of the work that they did. And there was a lot of others. I, I mean, they did a lot of work around uh, people who uh, didn't have income. So they offered free services. And um, they also, uh, you know, a thousand people is nothing to sneeze at when you're talking about how busy you are with four to 5,000 people. I, I mean, that, that's another thousand people that are floating out there that may not be getting, able to access uh, services. So, uh, and I also know that your walk-in clinic is, is limited in the number of hours. Uh, refresh my memory, but I, I don't think it's open 24 hours a day. No, or... two days. So every Tuesday and every Thursday. So people can come through the walk-in every Tuesday and every Thursday. Um, and we also have actually now, we have some crisis or uh, mental health coverage actually at the hospital uh, alternating on Saturdays. So that's, so that's, we're trying to up staff and, have some and, extended availability yeah, yeah and that and that's great that you have all that but i'm you know there's a again there's a thousand people out there that uh don't have the same level of service or the same type of service that, that is geared to their income or either free so i i just wonder how is that going to be handled is is that going to create problems or is that a problem for the community so the other portions of the end of what NCCC offered was um, through a, a violence a VAW funding envelope. And so that has also undergone an RFP process. So hope, you know, I'm happy to say that there's organizations I we're not part of that RFP process, but there is an RFP process to carry on that work in the community to keep those services going within the community, um, just with another community partner. So that was, we were successful, like I said, with the PAR program. And so we'll carry that forward, carry that forward and push that on. Um, but that the other or RFP process would be for that other envelope that NCCC had. So can, can you say from your position, as you can see the broader spectrum that we can't see. So can you say that these thousand people are, are they getting, going to be getting the services that they need or are, are some going to fall through the cracks? We don't want to see anybody fall through the cracks, no. But that would be the so our the network that's here in Northumberland is a fairly strong network. We're very like collaborative and work together, and it's the mission for all of us to not see people fall through the cracks. So that's something that we work for all the time. That whoever's part of that RFP process, that would be one of their priorities. Would be to make sure that those um, individuals get the services that they need. So if somebody's listening and they were getting services before from these people. Are they going to be contacted or, or how do they, how do I they would say find their way? If you're any, for anybody who's, who's wanting to carry on with services or initiate services, call us, just call us. And we, to me, you know, people who access the, want to access services should access the services. The navigation of how to work yourself through any system is, should be the responsibility of the system, which is that we represent the system. We'll try to figure that out with people, but if they do want, if they're ready and they want to access service, we're certainly not going to tell them to wait. We're going to help try to help them out. You've done a really good job describing what you do, but um, and we also acknowledge though that there is an increasing demand and you're creating new programs. So what do we need to do to prepare for this potential increase in demand for mental health services? So what would you like to see the provincial government do um, to boost whatever it is you're going to need as we go forward from this point? Um, so we're always, like you said, we're always kind of thinking about the future and what what directions um, we'd like to take things in. I mean, we could what we have what we're providing now is, of course, like you said, could always be boosted 
with um, additional resources, right? It would be great to offer the walk-in uh, maybe on another day or some extended hours. For sure, that would be a great opportunity. Um, I think that we would love to see more treatment uh, available locally in terms of um, inpatient treatment. That would be fantastic. We're always kind of we have vol enough volume here in Northumberland County that it would be wonderful to see people receiving their treatment uh, locally rather than having to go to another hospital to get inpatient treatment. So that would be a great advocate, great thing to see as well. Um, we'd love to see some expansion of more of our collaborative things that we're doing, right? So um, there's lots more options for MHART to expand for sure, to provide maybe more coverage in the evenings, also to provide more ongoing coverages coverage as well so I mean those are three things off the top of my head but I uh lots of things that could carry on for sure if you just help us out inpatient treatment what what is that just for in layman's terms yeah so when people have to be admitted to uh the hospital for mental health so when they stay in an inpatient unit that is a mental health unit Right. So uh, right now uh, we don't have a mental health unit at, at Northumberland Hills Hospital or, or a mental health inpatient unit. So if people want to be admitted to a hospital that's what's called schedule one, which means they have an inpatient unit. They go to they go outside of our community. Okay. So they might go to Peterborough or Oshawa or Belleville. Uh, have you do you speak with any politicians or others in a position that make decisions and, and what sort of things do they tell you when you you start rhyming off your grocery list of things you'd like to see. Uh, we've had lots of great support, actually. I, I don't think that I think there's appetite for it, for sure. Um, part of my role is is to collaborate, you know, together with the OHT, OHTN partners and with our other partners in the community um, to what what can we do together? What are our local needs collaboratively? Um, I think we we have to start thinking about that more than just as a silo, right? What what my mental health program or our mental health program might, might need, but we start to think about it more collaboratively. That's where the OHTN really comes into play. Uh, the Ontario Health Team with Northumberland, because we're all really having touch points on people's journeys. We just have them at different points, right? But we're all touching people's journeys through the system. And so I think it's, um, you know, working more collaboratively together. How can we coordinate our touch points? Because really that would make it much easier for people accessing healthcare if it wasn't, if we weren't all doing it separately. Um, but that's really a platform that the OHTN is pushing forward for sure. It's interesting you mentioned collaboration because with the NCCC, um, they didn't feel like there was a lot of collaboration going on or that they were getting a lot of support in the community. What was your perspective on that? Um, I know NCC was actually part of our walk-in at one time. Um, that, that was, you know, when we had originally started piloting the walk-in, um, they were a partner in that. Um, and then I, because I'd reach out, you know, to ask who I, all the organizations that were interested in partnering and, and C was one that um, did sign on at the initial. And I know that they were also heavily involved with some of the other organizations in the community as well. So, you know, my experience of working with them was really positive. I always thought their team was, um, you know, very committed for sure, very committed to the community and to the work that they were doing. So looking forward, what can we expect in the upcoming days, weeks, and months from community mental health? Um, probably, I hope you'll hear our voices a little bit more. We're usually trying to be more present, um, you know, reaching out to our partners or other organizations we're getting. Interestingly, now with things like you've noted about going back to workplaces or kids going back to school, um, we're, we're sort of more present with other partners in the community doing more 
something like this, right? Talking to groups, talking to students, talking to um, employees from a particular organization on how they can, um, you know, kind of prepare for this, for going back or what that's going to look like, how they can, you know, manage some of those things that are going on for them. So I hope that you'll hear a little bit more of this. Um, we have, you know, our usual kinds of things like Bell Let's Talk. We have Mental Illness Awareness Week kind of coming in October. So uh, we do tend to try to have more active voices at those times, but I hope that um, my hope is that mental health will become part of someone's everyday conversation, not just at those times of the year where there's kind of a light or awareness shone on it, but I, our hope, our drive really is that people have awareness of it all the time. Jennifer Cox, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks, Rob. Anytime. That was Jennifer Cox, Integrated Director of Mental Health Community Programs and Services at Northumberland Hills Hospital. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more from Consider This.